I, uh, I spent most of this past week in, in Texas. Um, some of you may remember a few weeks ago, I told you that I lost a, uh, a really close friend um, the night before Thanksgiving uh, in a head-on collision uh, that also took the lives of his children. Zach McElroy and I go back about 25 years. Um, but the situation has received a lot of press because he played football at TCU, and it's a tragedy um, beyond proportions. His wife, Lauren, survived, and I got to spend time with her this week. Um, and she is on the healing path, but of course it's going to take a really long time uh, to heal from this, and you never get over this, but it was good to be with her this week. W what do you say to somebody who has just lost her husband and two children? How do you give her hope? Spent the first part of the week in Austin, where she's been recovering, and led a, a memorial vigil there on Monday night, and uh, that was for that community. And then we went to Fort Worth, and Megan came and met me, and we had about 3,000 people show up Friday afternoon to, to sell at the, at the funeral there. Um, but I, I still can't believe that Zach is gone, and then when you throw his children on top of it, it's really a lot. Um, but it was good to be in Texas and good to be with people that we love and good to be back at TCU and see the ribbons and lights on the trees and to think about the, the memories that we have made there over the years. We had a reception in the stadium and it's fitting because he loved TCU football and we all love TCU football, just not this year, but um, we all love it. But uh, Zach made me a better person, a better husband, a better uh, friend, better minister. And um, I miss him. Sigmund Freud famously said that life as we find it is, is too hard for us. It has too many pains and disappointments and impossible tasks. He said that suffering comes from three different directions. First, from our own body, which is doomed to decay and decline over time. Second, he said, from overwhelming and merciless forces of destruction like earthquakes and floods and other natural disasters. And then he said, finally, the third area where we experience pain is from the relationships that we have with each other. And, and, and the suffering, he says, that comes from this source is perhaps the worst and the hardest. But because we do things and say things to each other that really hurt. And this has a lot to do with the loss and the grief that we experience when we lose somebody we love. Well, Freud was telling the truth, but he wasn't a person of faith. Life's not easy, it does hurt. The pain can be overwhelming, but the truth is life has always had its setbacks and, and, and tragedies and difficulties. There've always been hardships and struggle. There's never really been a time in the history of the world when everything was just fine, including the ancient world into which Jesus was born. Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. It was a world of poverty, heavy taxation, tyrannical rulers like Herod who wanted to put all the newborn babies to death out of jealousy. Don't forget that part of the story. The literature of that time says that the Israelite people lived with little hope for the future. They lived under Roman occupation and intimidation. One writer said the world was perishing, rotting, decaying, and reaching its end. And so it's fitting that in foretelling the birth of Jesus, Isaiah writes these words. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of deep darkness on them light has shined. 
but we always seem to find ourselves asking, can, can Christmas still be magical in a world that has the kind of suffering that ours does? Can it still bring hope in a world that, that can often feel hopeless? How, how do we celebrate Christmas when we know that all is not well in the world or in the lives of so many people? There's people that are homeless, people that are being held hostage in Gaza, people that are hungry, people that are grieving, lonely, sad, depressed. But if we take the time to think about it, I say the question is not how can we celebrate Christmas in a world like this, but how we all desperately need Christmas in a world like this. We need it. In the face of darkness and pain and grief and depression and addiction and so many people that are struggling, we need the hope and the light that Christmas brings into our hearts. It brings peace into our lives, into our families, into our marriages, into our friendships, into our churches, into our businesses, into our daily existence that can, if we're honest, become predictable and even mundane. Today, the Ryerson family lit the third candle on the Advent wreath that we call the candle of joy. Hope, peace, joy, and next week is love. Micah foretells the birth of Christ by saying, he shall judge between many peoples and shall arbitrate between strong nations from far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation and neither shall they learn war anymore. Jesus brings peace. And last Sunday we talked about how important it is to first find peace in our soul so that we can spread it. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Today we're in Luke's gospel. And this is probably the most familiar birth narrative that we hear. Meaning Luke's gospel is probably read more than, than Matthew's. There's two, Matthew and Luke, and then John has his own version of the incarnation. But Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph had traveled from Nazareth and Galilee to Bethlehem to be a part of the census mandated by Caesar Augustus. They made that roughly 80 mile journey very late in Mary's pregnancy. And while they were away in Bethlehem, it came time for her to deliver the child. But because of the census, you know, Bethlehem was crowded with travelers. And so the only place that they could find to stay was behind an inn in a stable because the inn was full, remember? So they set up camp in the stable behind the inn. Luke also includes in this account that there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. When suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them, they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said this, he said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of a great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find the babe wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. I love what my friend Mike Glenn said. I heard him a year ago say, you know, it wasn't Mary that wrapped that baby. It must've been Joseph. Bands of cloth, that's something a dad would do, right? Not a mama. Well, the shepherds went with haste to Bethlehem and when they arrived, sure enough, they found Mary and Joseph and they found that new child lying in the manger. 
Let's not forget the setting where Jesus was born. A, a manger, a feeding trough was where he was laid. How, how do we experience joy at Christmas? How, how would you understand or, or describe the times in your life when you feel joy? What did the angel mean when he said, I bring you good news of a great joy for all the people? Michael Lamb teaches at Wake Forest and he was in Nashville about a week and a half ago for the Trinity Forum, spoke over at NBA and then I got to spend some time with him with a group of ministers. And Michael teaches character and leadership, um, two things that I, I try to teach in my courses at Vanderbilt. And he is exactly right that we need to do a better job of intentionally teaching these virtues to our young people, intentionally. Let's not just hope that they pick it up because how else are they gonna learn it? How else will they form character? Michael's a really interesting guy and he's starting an initiative to get more universities across the country to teach virtue and character because if we're honest, there's a lot of it lacking in our world right now. A number of years ago, Archbishop Desmond Tutu traveled to India and spent a week with the Dalai Lama who was turning 80 and those guys wanted to reconnect and they, they published this book that Farrell and I have always loved and we've recommended it to a lot of people called The Book of Joy. And, and I, if you've never read this book, I would encourage you to get it, it's, it's really good. But they basically say, you know, everyone seeks happiness, joyfulness, but from the outside, from money, from power, from big car, from big house, most people never pay attention to the ultimate source of the happy life, which is the inside, not the outside. But we have to understand that there's always been a fundamental difference between happiness and joy. We all want to be happy, right? But happiness in life is fleeting. It's tied to circumstances that are out of our control. A pretty day, go Titans, right? A nice vacation, a promotion at work, but happiness comes and goes. It doesn't stick around. Joy in life comes from a much deeper place. You know, I experienced joy this week at, at that service in Austin Monday night that I was leading and, and at that service in, in Fort Worth on Friday. We don't have to be happy to experience joy. And sometimes we can't even explain the things in life that give us joy because it will come in unexpected ways and it will surprise us. But joy is overwhelming. It's all encompassing. It's a, it's, it's a feeling deep within our, our, our gut that although there may be problems in life, although there may be hurt and pain, and although there may be suffering, everything is going to be okay. Now, it's hard to tell my friend Lauren that. It doesn't feel like everything's gonna be okay. Bishop Tutu and the Dalai Lama, one of the things I love about what they did is they said, look, if you wanna experience joy in your life, you gotta be aware of the pillars. Meaning, you gotta be aware of the things in your life that bring joy. If you're not aware of them, you're, you're probably not gonna experience a lot of joy. And so they actually named eight, and, and, and the first one they said was perspective. It's the way you see the world. It's the way you see any situation that you may be facing. You remember Victor, Victor Frankl? He was a Holocaust survivor. Uh, he wrote that incredible book, Man's Search for Meaning. 
He said that we may not choose our circumstances, but we always choose how to respond to the circumstances. Two people could be in the same predicament, but depending on their perspective, one of them may be in a much better place. And so sometimes in life, the best thing we can do is change our perspective, change our attitude, our outlook. They talked about humility, the second one. So many people seem to struggle with being kind to themselves. And this is sad, but if you don't have a genuine love and kindness towards yourself, then how can you extend that to others? Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus also said, all who exalt themselves will be humbled. All who humble themselves will be exhausted, ex exalted. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, just thinking of yourself less. Put others first, the world doesn't revolve around you. Then they said laughter. You know, we did laugh a lot this week in Texas, telling stories, showing pictures, <laughs> seeing old girlfriends we dated in college uh, in the pictures, <laughs> being with old friends, reminiscing. Laughter is one of the best medicines for the pain of life. It's the shortest distance between two people. It, 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 you know, too many people, I think, take life way too seriously and, and, and the joy gets sucked right out. But you have to be able to laugh at yourself. Nobody wants to be around somebody who's always serious. Then they said acceptance. Learn to accept life and all of its pain, its imperfection, its beauty. This was a tough one for me this week. Accepting what's happened. Acceptance is the opposite of resignation and defeat. A big part of the spiritual life is learning to accept the things that have, that have happened to you, to not live in denial. The Dalai Lama once said, our stress and anxiety comes from our expectations of how life should be. So many of the causes of our suffering come from our reacting to the people, places, things, and circumstances in our lives rather than just accepting them. And I didn't say it's always easy to accept the things that have happened, but it is reality. You know, when we react, we can stay locked in to judgment and criticism, anxiety, despair, even a denial and addiction. That's how a lot of people cope with their pain, right? But acceptance is a recognition that we can't control everything. And sometimes it's just better to come to terms with it the way things are. Then they mentioned forgiveness. And I talked about that last week as the last part of how you find peace in the soul. It frees us from the past. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we forget. It, it just means that, 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 that we're trying to move on. It doesn't mean that we accept what somebody did to us as being okay. It just means that we don't wanna hold on to it forever. Not so much for their sake, but for our sake. We wanna move forward. Gratitude. In our entitled world, all spiritual traditions recognize the importance of, of being grateful. Not just at Thanksgiving, but all the time. It moves us from this narrow-minded thinking on the things I don't have that I wish I had to, wow, look at all the blessings that I have, look at my family, look at my, my friends, my church, my job, and, and you're grateful for it. And, and, and Paul says in the Bible, give thanks in all circumstances because grateful people are joyful people. I'm grateful for this beautiful music this morning. They mentioned compassion. 
You know, Jesus had compassion, but our, our culture is self-centered. Too much self-centered thinking is the source of suffering, by the way. You know, I love my dad's quote, find somebody all wrapped up in themselves, there's no smaller package in the world. We're most joyful when we focus on others, not ourselves. So bringing joy to others is the fastest way to experience joy ourselves. Remember what Jesus said? I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Just as you did it to the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. If you've hosted Room in the Inn lately, you know that feels good, right? Because you help people. If you built a hope house, you know that feels good. The last pillar that they mention is generosity. And remember, generosity involves your time and your money. We can't do anything at this church without your generosity. I hope you all know that. And I hope you know we're grateful for it. But generous people are joyful people. When we have a generous spirit, other people wanna be around us. We radiate happiness in the company that we keep. And, and, and we all know that Christmas is a season of giving. It's a season of thinking about other people and being generous. You know, my friend Zach exhibited all these pillars, all these virtues as long as I've known him, 25 years. And he helped me to focus on these things because these are the virtues that matter. These are the virtues that we have to teach our young people. I'm talking about um, Judson and Lindsay, his children, you know, I said that they radiated joy because their parents radiated joy. They were full of life because Zach and Lauren were full of life. And the best way to teach our young people is to embody what we want to teach them. Because if we teach them one thing and do something different, they're going to see right through it. We have to model what we want them to learn. The angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of a great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. You've got one week till Christmas. So what are you gonna do in that week to experience joy with your family, with your spouse, with your loved ones? Life is not full of happy times. There's pain, there's loss, there's disappointment. But in the midst of any of that, joy is still possible because it's deeper. It's in our soul. And joy is found in, 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 in little things too. A date with our spouse. <laughs> Putting on Bethlehem last week. Getting a beer with a friend. <laughs> letting them know you care, having dinner with your family, singing Christmas carols around the tree, tucking a child into bed at night, even saying goodbye to a friend that we've loved. There can be joy there. So look for joy this Christmas. And always remember that joy can come in unexpected places and it just might surprise you 